Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Marcus Cron. We interview experts so you can understand all aspects of real estate investing. Whether you're a passive investor or an experienced syndicator, this podcast can guide you on your journey of building wealth through real estate. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Hey guys, Marcus Cron here. Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I'm joined by Garrett Hawk, who transitioned from single family into multifamily investments at a young age. So he has a lot he can share with you guys today. So Garrett, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I really appreciate you joining on this show here and uh, sharing some value with my audience. Sure, I'm glad I can be help and uh, be of service. Yeah, yeah. So. I just want to give a little intro on you and then I'll let you take it from there. But a little bit about Garrett. He has acquired over 550 units at only 28 years old. Garrett dropped out of college at 19 to start buying rental properties in this small college town where he lived. He has experience in working other businesses such as owning gas stations, which is quite interesting. He has become an expert in finding ways to partner with others to keep growing his portfolio and help others invest in real estate. So yeah, you've accomplished a lot at a young age, Garrett. So do you mind uh, telling the audience a little bit more about yourself and what you're currently focusing on? Sure, absolutely. Um, first off, I want to include my wife in this because um, my wife and I have been married a year this month and uh, I'd pretty much contribute majority of our success just uh, with what she's added to our partnership um, with our business. And so, yeah, I want to give credit to her first. But um, yeah, so I think uh, just to touch on where you've, you gave a good summary of where we started. Uh, started when I was 19. Uh, grew up with my, as a pastor's son, with my dad always owning rental properties on the side. And so kind of grew up in that self-management, dad's a landlord, do projects with dad on Saturdays kind of things at his rental properties. And uh, I just saw what the wealth creation on the side uh, through owning real estate could do just through specifically rental properties. And I just saw that growing up. So I got to experience that firsthand. And so uh, my first job out of high school was actually managing one of my dad's apartment complexes, uh, which was good just because kind of got thrown into the fire right off the bat, uh, learning that. And so very quickly, I realized that that's just what I wanted to do. Um, and I had uh, uh, dropped out of college after one semester. Uh, had some other uh, very entrepreneurial driven uh, in that time. So I was able to use a little bit of money we had set aside for college to uh, put as a down payment on my first rental property. I was about an 80 year old, five bedroom, two bath house, a block and a half from campus in the college town that I lived in and uh, bought that property for 58500 and uh, then was able to buy a second one uh, later that year, uh, borrowed some money um, through a private lender and then also with a bank. And um, yeah, just sat on those properties for a while, experienced, tried to do some other businesses because I wasn't a huge fan of being a landlord. Uh, and then I tried the gas station business, uh, had some success early and then failures late. Uh, which realized, man, this real estate thing is a lot easier. And so um, I was able to uh, purchase my first 48-unit uh, um, multifamily property 
uh, the seller carried the 25% down payment for me and the bank loaned the 75%, uh, which was good just because my local bank was willing to do that. And um, yeah, it's been uh, after I'd say within the last 14, 15 months, just been kind of focusing on acquiring more properties, uh, focusing on relationships and just building those and finding deals and figuring ways to work it out. So that's the, that's the gist of it. Awesome. So going back a little bit, I mean, you mentioned your, uh, you started managing a property for your dad who's yep. a pastor and he's owning apartments or you're managing a building for him. Interesting that he, he was already in real estate, but was it his influence that you saw real estate as a, a real tangible route that you could go down as a career option? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that just because uh, growing up, my mom was a school teacher. My dad was a pastor. Uh, wasn't really ways to create wealth in those two professions. And my dad was very entrepreneurial driven. Um, so I just witnessed that in him firsthand um, and what he was able to do. And so after I saw that, I just was said, okay, this is the route I want to go. This route I want to be in. So you didn't find that, or did you, I'm going to ask this question. Did you find that there was any pushback from your parents when you come to them and say, Hey, I think I'm going to leave college and pursue this real estate investing thing full time. Sure. Uh, my, my dad was no, uh, cause he kind of compared the two routes and he saw, um, the direction a lot of people had gone before me just with getting a degree and realizing that, you know, I wasn't going to be uh, the typical nine to five um, paycheck kind of guy. Uh, I had an extended family that was much more resistant. My mom was a little hesitant at first, but yeah, it, it worked out all right for her. So uh, yeah, I had a little resistance, but I think biggest thing is just uh, learning how to uh, dive into personal development, which I did at that time too, just focusing on who to listen to, what, what voices you want to hear from uh, moving forward from there. And what gave you the courage or confidence or even resources? I mean, I know you talked about self-development at that time and getting the right education, but what ultimately was it that gave you the confidence to be like, well, um, I'm taking somewhat of a risk. Um, what, what gave you that confidence to take that leap? Uh, I just didn't know any better, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, ignorance. I was ignorance on fire at that point. Um, I Obviously, I, I, I love to learn. Uh, to be honest, I, I said, uh, my joke that I say is I, I dropped out of college to get an education. Um, so that was That's a good one. Uh, I heard that yeah, one before. Yeah. A couple of things was, it's just, I, I, I've constant, I'm a constant learner. Um, constantly it's podcast, YouTube all the time. Uh, ignores my wife, annoys my wife a little bit, but she's a huge learner as well. So you graduated from uh, YouTube university, uh, YouTube university. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've uh, probably put in uh, a lot more hours in YouTube than I have in any classroom, for sure. Well, that's so important, though. I mean, I'm going to totally mess up this quote here, but a degree can make you a living, but self-education can make you a fortune. I think that's Jim Rohn. And don't know if you, you uh, listened to any of his stuff back in the day. Yep, Jim Rohn's a guy. Yep, and uh, one of my businesses that I had started in between then was, uh, I was I was in network marketing for a few years, so got into all that personal development. That was a season that really grew me. So thankful for that. Awesome. So now next steps, you find that you're going to go into real estate. You're on fire. You're really motivated to do it. 
talk about that transition where you're like, okay, I know you mentioned you said you're going to manage or you did manage your dad's uh, apartment building or one of his rental properties. Could you talk about how that kind of scaled up and how you then took on more properties that you were managing and what did that look like? Sure. Um, one thing that I you realize in the midst of all this is that uh, as you're trying these different things and these different businesses, you really realize on your strengths and what to focus on. Um, at the beginning, I thought I had to be extremely well-rounded, a well-rounded business person and a well-rounded entrepreneur. But uh, you really, and that's, I think, what school teaches you. It teaches you to be well-rounded as, a, um, as an academic uh, but for me, it was, uh, I focused and I realized what I wasn't good at and I'm thankful for those times. So, um, fortunately, um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a good operator. I realized that I was very good in the big picture, figuring, figuring out how to make things work, uh, the deal structure of things, if you want to say that. Uh, but when it came down to managing it, just, uh, I can do it. I can. I know the skills, I know what to do. Uh, but as far as the operations part of it, 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 it just wasn't me, but I did have uh, some help just in scaling that business. Um, we, I had some relatives buy rental properties as well from out of town and I would, I would manage their properties for them, family, friends, things like that. Um, but, uh, I was never able to reach a next level as far as a scale wise until uh, uh, my wife Gabby came on and she's been the operator that allowed us to grow exponentially for sure. Yeah. And that's such an important piece there. It's, it's the partnership. It's, it's a uh, real estate as a team sport and finding your true skill set or your unique skill set, whether it be, I mean, some people call it your superpower and really just leveraging and doubling down on your strengths because real estate really does require kind of a vast array of skill sets and it requires that vision, that entrepreneur spirit, the, the big pictures, the deal structuring, the people person, the relationship person. But it also, on the back end, it also requires somebody that has a heavy analytical skill set that can analyze deals, do the underwriting, uh, go through due diligence checklists. At what point did you actually partner with your wife and start having her come in and, and take off some of that analytical or the more operating side of things? Yeah. Uh, my wife came on uh, to work in the business about, uh, it was about January of 2019. Okay. And so her coming on, taking about two months just to sort out, sort out her husband, uh, <laughs> future husband, uh, just then figuring, figuring out and creating structures and systems and all of that that I had going on uh, really is what laid the foundation for where we're at now. So it sounds like you went into single family, you built up a small portfolio in single family, and then at some point started to make a transition into multifamily because of that scalability factors. Because, I mean, it sounds like you're a big picture guy. You like to think big and, and look at systems that can scale. So talk yeah. about that transition from single family when you made that jump into to multifamily and talk about that first deal for me. Sure. Uh, so, uh, like I said, it was that 48 unit complex, uh, and um, we purchased it. Uh, it was about uh, 25 or 30 percent vacant. Uh, I was still cash flowing, but um, came into the property and had the seller carry 20, 25 percent of the down payment. So we were able to walk, walk, 
away from the closing table or walk to the closing table with nothing in our pockets, uh, which was fortunate. Uh, and um, can you dig into that a little bit more? You're talking about seller financing or seller carry. Sometimes it has different terms on that and how you can actually express this. But I know this isn't something I've talked about with any of my guests on the show so far. So could you yeah. kind of talk about a seller carry? What does that mean? How do you apply it? And what are the benefits? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, for example, this this project we purchased uh, was uh, $900,000. And the bank was only willing to uh, put a loan on it of uh, 75% of it. So the bank comes in the first position mortgage uh, to give that loan of 75%. And they're usually, we worked with the community bank, and they're usually in the 15 to 20-year amortization phase. And then the seller uh, comes in and they put a second position on it, and which is comes in second position. And what happens is you can negotiate that uh, two ways. You can either pay them monthly interest payments on the the money that they came. So in that case, the bank loaned uh, six hundred and fifty or six hundred and seventy-five thousand. I can't remember. And then the seller came in with the with the remainder to cover the purchase price. And so I think it was about two twenty-five or two fifty. I'd have to think about that again. But uh, so what happened was that property at the first position in the bank. If something were to go bad, the bank the bank wasn't paid off. They'd be in the first position to take it. And then the second position is just kind of left out there. If they aren't paid, then it's kind of they're in a tough spot. So um, doing that, what we did is we came in, improved the functions of the property, improved the net operating income, the profit, and then we had the property reappraised and we refinanced and paid off both of those loans. And so we did that uh, back in uh, even first week of January of this year. And so we bought it for nine hundred thousand. Uh, we had an appraiser come in and appraised it at one point eight five million. And then we did a 75% cash out refinance. So that paid off those two positions and then also gave us a nice chunk of change, about three or 400,000 uh, that we were able to take tax-free. So those, that's how the whole system works for that particular deal. That's awesome. And, that, and congratulations on getting that refi and, and getting that debt paid down and, and paying off your uh, first and second position lenders on that deal. So going back into the seller carry, can you explain how that might work? I mean, typically they're owed a higher interest rate for being in that second position because they don't have as tight a collateral on the on the asset as the first position or the bank might have. Could you talk about how, I mean, if this might be the only one or you might have done other seller carry deals, could you sure. tell talk about how you might structure that in terms of the financing or the, the term that you might pay that uh, second position mm-hmm. a borrower? Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so, for uh, this that scenario, we didn't make monthly interest payments. It was just a one payment at the end of it. We had the interest on, uh, and then we've done recently one of the ones we recently did. We had the seller carry ten percent of the down payment, and we're paying him a, actually we're just paying him four percent interest, which is less than our bank is asking for. So it all depends on how you structure the deal. Um, the seller's willingness. If the seller has more equity in the property, uh, it's usually easier for them uh, to to sell it with a second position. For me, uh, I sold my two first single-family houses with my with myself carrying the twenty percent down payment, so I'm in a second position. And so, 
it all depends how you structure it. Most of the time you can get away with a regular interest payment of four or five, four to six percent uh, interest only. And so that's how we specifically have done it in the past. And how do you actually go about getting that seller financing? Because I mean, not every seller is going to be willing to do it. Like you said, they're going to have to have a large chunk of equity and it, it almost has to be something that you ask for or present it in a way that it actually seems attractive to them. Can you talk about how some of our listeners might be able to benefit from this in terms of, well, if they're trying to structure a deal, what might be the best way to actually approach a seller and, and find an opportunity to structure that type of arrangement? Sure. So uh, we, always, we always make it our first question whenever we look at a deal, is the seller willing to carry? Um, and if they are, then we say, okay, great. First thing we do is we just write it up so it's no money out of our pockets. We write it up and we say, okay, seller carries 20% of the purchase price and we'll offer full ask most of the time. Um, so they are getting all the money they asked for. And then we'll present it in a way, if it's if there's no agent involved, we'll present it in a way, say, really, you're getting more than what you're uh, asking because we're going to get interest on top of what your seller on what you're carrying. And so we originally present it like that. If they aren't interested in something like that, then sometimes they'll counter and they'll say, well, I don't want to carry the full 20. Uh, I'll carry 10% or something like that. That's good for us because then we're at least able to bring less to the table and we're able to leverage more. And so it all depends just how you structure it. We always ask for more and then we settle in the middle usually. And, uh, usually works out well just because we're able to buy larger assets with less cash. Right. So in this particular deal, what was the business plan? I mean, I heard you say that you bought it about 25% vacancy or roughly around there. What was the, the plan to kind of turn it around and, and boost the occupancy? Uh, really, it was just mismanagement was all it was. Uh, we went in and we uh, we had put a, a value. If we put a value wise on what we did, we probably put about one hundred and sixty six thousand worth of value um, uh, of upgrades into the property. And so, whenever we go to refinance it, a bank or a lender is going to want to see, well, you know, what did you do to it to get to this higher price point? What can we justify? Because they all want to make sure that you have at least some skin in the game, is the common term, some cash in the game. And so, uh, we go fix it up, improve the operating income there are a few down units that we decided to bring up online and um, what we did is after we did all this work with the improvements get it to the best possible condition that we can look at and then we present it to a lender and go from there right so these upgrades i think you said around one hundred and sixty thousand dollars were those mainly on the building as a whole like capex items or were they individual units or actually upgrading specific units where was that money spent a uh, combination. Uh, most of it was flooring. A lot of it was flooring. Um, what's one thing we do is we're getting rid of carpet in all of our units uh, just over the over the term of the property just saves you so much money. Um, so flooring was a lot of it. Um, we had to redo some down units that had some foundation leakage, things like that in the basement units. Had to bring those up online. Those That wasn't cheap. And um, yeah, just overall, just mostly just upgrades to the units. Right. And, and you might not know this off the top of your head, but 
if you were to look at on an average per unit basis, what kind of rent bumps or increases did you get after you, you know, did some of the renovations in the building? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was on, uh, it has the, the complex has ones, twos, and threes. Uh, we were able to bump our ones about 70 bucks a month. Uh, twos were about uh, 50 to 75. And then our threes were another hundred bucks on top of that. So uh, I think uh, gross we, property was grossing about uh, 17,000 when we purchased it, 16 or 17. And then our highest month has been about 24 or 25. Right. No, that's great. So you, you've already kind of mentioned you're not a huge fan of operating and and, and you're more big picture stuff. So you probably used a third party property manager. Is that correct? You didn't self manage. No, we do. Yeah, we have our we do self manage. Oh, you uh, do. Okay. We self manage out of our 550. Uh, we self manage about 400 of those. So, and again. When I say we, primarily my wife. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's interesting because I, I thought it would be that you were working with a third-party manager because you wanted to outsource some of that. But that's that's really cool. And that comes down to the whole thing of partnerships. I mean, you've given that role to your wife to kind of oversee a lot of the uh, the management aspects of the property. I mean, just typically you see a lot of people going that route, the syndicator route, where they just bring together the investors um, and then throw a third-party property manager on and then just run the deal that way and, and outsource it. But what uh, ultimately, what was the decision ultimately for you, the major determining factor that said, Hey, we want to self-manage this rather than, than go with third party. Yeah, it's, it comes down to efficiency really. Um, we have, uh, I just look at our averages across the board um, comparatively, whether it would be, we purchased it, purchased the property from somebody who, had a third party management or even the, the units that we do have. Um, we operate at probably about a seven to 10% less expenses uh, annually. And so that's a huge selling point, especially when you have partners saying, look, the people that are managing this property are the owners. So they, we look at it from the owner's perspective, like, okay, what are the things that we're wasting for? Why are we paying somebody, you know, $75 to make a service call whenever it's a 15 to $20 repair kind of things like this. Just those things, those attention to knowing how to run a property efficiently uh, is the big reason that um, we're able to, you know, have the good NOIs that we have at the bottom line. Right. Yeah. So that deal sounded great. It went well, you've already looked to, or you refinanced it, but even before that, let's talk about how, you got this deal, and then that was your first multifamily deal that you completed. Talk about how that springboarded you into the next deal and subsequent deals. So let's move on to that second deal. How did you find it? How many units? Let's talk about that one a little bit more specifics here. Sure. Um, I also have my real estate license. I'll say that because um, that I, I I'm, I'm my biggest client, pretty much my only client, I think. Uh, most of the time. So the second deal we found, um, it was actually that, that first complex that I had, I had managed it. Um, and I had met some, met somebody, uh, who was looking to buy the complex, buy a complex similar to that. Uh, I had a listing through a separate investor. Um, the, he was too high. I wasn't going to come down. I wasn't going to, it, it wasn't going to work. He was trying to, it was like a five cap. He was trying to sell into a C, in a C class property. 
And so I had this investor reach out to me. He was a buyer and he said, he wanted to look at my property. And I came and I showed it to him and uh, I could see him figuring the numbers and the numbers just weren't figuring right. He was thinking he was going to make more money than he was. And this was his first time getting into a multifamily project. He'd had other rental houses, but it just wasn't, it wasn't working. So uh, I told him, I said, look, I said, I've got another project. It's off market. I'm not going to collect a commission on this, but I'll go make the introduction to you. And it was uh, my dad's 51 unit that I had originally managed out of college. Uh, so took to him, took, took him to them, made the introduction. Uh, and God, uh, he got it up and running. Uh, well, it was already running well, but he really profited well off the property just from an efficiently efficiency perspective. And, um, about 12, 18 months later, he decided, Hey, he says, I, I think, what do you think I could sell this for? And I said, well, you've added a lot of value to it. So I think you come out pretty nicely. And so, uh, I was able to list the property for him. Uh, I was able to find a buyer as well. Uh, I was on both sides and, um, he came out and he made it about, a, I think it was about $400,000 profit in about 16, 18 months, something like that. And so for him, he was on cloud nine. I was his, I was his wonder boy or whatever you want to call it, just cause I had kind of showed him, uh, they made the introductions to him. I'd made him some money. And so, uh, I said, I found another deal and I didn't have the capital at the time. Um, still just kind of hustling. And I told, I found another 76 unit deal and I approached it to him and I told him, I said, look, I said, this is the deal. It's got a lot of value add opportunity to it. Uh, this is what the cash flow could be. I said, and I want to partner with you on this. And I said, I'll take, um, if you put up the down payment, um, I'll put up, uh, I'll put up my commission to put into CapEx, put it into the building and, uh, I'll manage it, um, through my, just through me and, uh, I'll manage it without a management fee and I'll just take uh, 30% equity. And he decided he wanted to, uh, so we got it, got it up and running. Um, property went well. Um, and we, 12 months later, just said, Hey, this is, I just told him, I said, this is a good time in the market. We have to realize where we're at. Uh, I told him, I said, properties are trading where it's not really making sense right now. And so we bought it for 2 million and I said, let's put it on the market at 2.9. And within, I think it was 48 hours, we had a full price offer and uh, we was actually, kind of, we had a lot of offers lined up, but we had a full price one that we accepted. So we turned that one and we sold that and took about 60 days to close. So it was about 14 months and we profited 900 K and um, he collected 70% of that. And so add that on to his profit before and plus his interest payments, you know, in about 24 months, I helped Terry, who's a good friend of mine, uh, make over a million dollars in cash. And so with that, uh, he's just, uh, we, have a good friendship obviously <laughs> but uh we're just i just always focus on relationships uh giving more than giving more than you ask and um you know things always work out in the end so yeah and i like the way that you approach that i mean you kind of came to him with the solution about how you can add value to this partnership right you said hey here's a deal this is what i can bring to the table and you've already talked about your high level vision of being able to see an opportunity, bring together the right pieces. And, that, and that's so important because 
like we've already talked about before, it's real estate, it's diverse from bringing together the capital, the, the operations, the, the management and, and all those different moving pieces. It requires a team, right? And, and if you can find a way to bring value to, in one of the aspects, you can really find your fit in, in this real estate industry. So really awesome how that one relationship, and, and I'm sure you have a number of other relationships that have helped you along in your real estate investing journey. So yeah, can you talk about that for a second here? Like relationships outside of this relationship here, how have you been fostering them or developing them? And how has that actually helped accelerate your investing career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first off, I'd just say the, the goal of any partnership or goal of any deal is to do another one, uh, is to do the second one. And I, I say that to every person who's interested in partnering with me. Um, and so, and just realizing the, your partner's situation where they're at. Now for me, I'm not, I, I don't have any marketing. I don't, I don't do anything. I just go to meetups and meet people and, uh, talk to family and friends about real estate. And, um, ultimately you just make those connections. So, uh, yeah, Terry was the first one. Second one, uh, we bought a, let's see, a multifamily one was, um, uh, was be a 90, I'm sorry, it would be a 76 unit complex that we had purchased. And this one was, this one was with my father it was the first deal we'd actually done together. And so obviously we already had a good relationship there. Um, and then a few other deals that we had done, I uh, have a couple guys that are repeat investors. Uh, we did one where we actually purchased the 40 house portfolio with an investor. Uh, he was a guy that we met at a meetup, but grabbed lunch with him. Uh, had a good W-2 job and he's just ultimately looking to have enough passive income uh, to step away from that. So he's invested in two of our projects. Um, and, you know, I become friends with, with my partners. And so uh, we purchased a 96 unit complex back in January and it took me about five years or six years uh, to get that seller to sell it to me. Um, and I didn't have the, I didn't, at first I was the agent. Uh, and then second, uh, I was able to become the investor in it. And so it took, I just always remember that the in relationships are always more important than the deal, uh, no matter what it is. And, um, I, you just focus on building those relationships, making sure you're adding value, making sure you're not taking advantage of them in any way. You're always being honest, you're being upfront, um, and I don't, it's not a traditional syndication with me where I don't charge asset management fees. I don't charge um, acquisition costs, anything. They know how I'm getting paid in every deal. They know what I'm putting in. Um, and ultimately it works out. So that's how we go. Yeah, no, and that's cool. I mean, traditionally, if you're talking to a syndicator who's raising capital and bringing in a whole bunch of passive investors or limited partners, there's obviously a strategy behind that and sourcing their investors and talking to them and presenting to them and bringing them into the deal. But I mean, you from a funding standpoint, well, going back to why I wanted to dig into your seller financing, some of those couple deals, like it required no cash up front or no down payment out of your pocket, right? I mean, there's going to be some closing costs and some, some nominal fees involved in closing the deal, but essentially... Yeah. In that first deal, very little, if any, cash out of pocket to actually close the deal because you got that seller financing and moving on to the next one, finding a way to partner with somebody where, hey, you put in your commissions on the deal, 
but it wasn't a huge outlay of cash for the down payment. And these are just some of the creative ways you can look at getting yourself into a deal. And and, and then I'm really trying to pull that out from your brain to let my listeners hear it because, I mean, you're a young guy that has been able to accomplish a lot by just being creative and, and finding ways to add value to people in this industry and uh, has led you into springboarding your investing career. So further on that path, like you, you had another successful deal. How has that led into some further deals that you're putting together? I know you've, you've mentioned you have some deals under contract. Can you talk a little bit more about those? Sure. Uh, right now we're just in a very unique scenario. Um, I found a, found a buyer who sources a lot of capital from over, overseas. And um, he's, we, we did one deal, that first deal I talked about with Terry. Uh, we did one deal with him, we closed on. And we've got two more lined up right behind it. And, and then, so that's on the sell side. And then on the buy side, uh, we've, I found another guy who's just, we developed a good relationship um, we've done two deals with them so far and we've got three more deals under contract with them that we'll do this year. And so it's, it's, again, it's not just fostering relationships with your investors. It's to foster relationships with your buyers and your sellers because, you know, you want to do repeat business with people. And so, um, one book I'd recommend to every investor, if they're listening to this, uh, just on becoming more seasoned in the real estate and business realm is, uh, am I being too subtle by Sam Zell? It's his autobiography. And I, I love his take on business. I love his take on negotiating on his take on relationships and all that. I would just, if there was ever a guideline of how to do business, I would definitely put that out there. And so just that to say is we've got, uh, I think we have 360 units under contract all funded, all um, financing lined up. It's just a matter of executing timelines right now between now and the end of the year. And so that's just our mode and our method that we're moving forward with. And um, both of those have just been from two relationships really. So it's, it's, a huge, it, it's a huge asset just to make sure that you keep your people happy and make sure that you aren't trying to cheat anybody. No, that's awesome. And for that gold nugget that uh, my listeners can take away from that is invest in your network, invest in the, your relationships and the people you know. And I mean, like you said already, from a funding standpoint, it wasn't like you're operating this huge marketing campaign and, and doing all these fancy things to put together deals or find investors or partners. It's really just going out and talking with people about what you do, keeping a pulse on the industry, sharing with your friends, family, going to a meetup here and there, but it's nothing revolutionary where it's like, hey, I'm all over marketing this through websites or social media. It's it's just kind of having a, a core strategy to you know, build relationships and meaningful relationships because that's resulted in some huge deals for you, which is awesome. Yeah, and I, I would say just to reiterate that, I think we're just in the age of social media and the internet where you're just being bombarded with programs and methods and blueprints to success, if you want to say like that, with coaching programs. And I'm not saying they're not good. I, I think they are. I think they're, I know some guys who are built incredible businesses off of them. Um, I would just say that their real estate is a much bigger pool than what we even realize. Uh, for example, these guys that we're buying deal, this guy we're buying deals from, 
He's 37 years old, had a port, has a portfolio of 450 million, and he has zero partners. And so that is wow. massive amounts of success uh, that he would never, and he doesn't want anybody to know who he is. And that's, I respect him even more for that. Uh, not because it's against, I have anything about against self-promotion. It's just, uh, he's very just about his business and he's very just, and I, to be honest, he's one of the most available, generous guys that I know. He's always there to answer text messages or calls. He never ignores. I mean, he's always, he's always looking to add value uh, to the op to the other way. And so we've negotiated, we've got two deals done with them thus far, and we've got three more um, that we're getting ready to do. And these are just the relationships uh, that we know that he and I both know. He says, we like the way we do business with each other. We like the way we conduct our business. And we're already talking about what's going to happen in the future together. And so those are just things that you, those relationships in life and in business, you want to make sure that they're just kept healthy because um, it's, it's the right way to do things. Right. And when you say that majority of your deals that you're finding from sourcing these off-market deals or good deals to buy um, is kind of attributed to those relationships, or is it more the fact that you're an agent yourself, so you got access to, to deals um, that way, or what's kind of working well for you to, to find these really high quality deals? Uh, more recently, uh, let's see, we're buying, oh, we got uh, 150 units under contract. Um, that's already, we'll, we'll close on those at the end of the month. Um, that was on market, um, but it was the second deal we had done with the same broker. And he's, he likes us and he says, we, I want you guys to have this deal. Um, so he's that I am an agent on that one, but everything else has been just because we've, we've kept the lines of communication open. And I always, we think the same way as soon as we leave the closing table, he's like, okay, what's next. And so that's, that's really what we, we think about. And it's the mindset that we're both on. So we, he sees the ways that he can add value to him or I can add value to him, he can add value to me, and we keep going. Awesome. So we're getting close to the end of the interview here. Still want to ask you, you've accomplished a lot already, and you still got a lot of potential opportunities ahead of you. So where do you see yourself in your business in 10 years? Uh, 10 years is uh, hard to say. Um, my wife and I, we have a goal of kind of stepping out of the operational realm uh by 2022 um so i'll be 30 by then uh, so we've got some aggressive goals to hit by then uh, and then after that we really want to focus on kind of mentoring other investors and really um with our goal for what our cash flow is monthly cash flow is we want to hit uh, really just turn around and do the same favor mentor other investors put partnerships with them teach them how to operate and how them to build their business and so we just kind of flipped the script where we go into more of a passive teaching role. And so uh, that's our that's our goal for three years. And then honestly, a lot of that, we really want to focus on just bigger life purposes there. You know, we our goal in life isn't just to be successful in real estate. We want to make an impact uh, just through um, our church, our, our ministry, our, min our missions that we're a part of. And uh, we really want to make a dent and an impact in this world. So that's, no, that's awesome. So 
Um, just a follow-along question to that, because it, it gets my mind turning. So by the age of 30, you plan to not continue buying deals? Or what do you mean from an operator standpoint, you want to be done at a, as an operator? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, we'll still buy deals. Um, it's it, For that, I think we'll flip it around to just be more of a teaching role. And we'll be teaching other investors to go out, do the legwork, find the deals, um, we'll teach them to be operators. And then uh, we put our cash to the deals, we help fund them and just kind of flip, flip it back around, you know, where, you know, they're getting the smaller percentage as the operator and the funders are getting the larger percentages. And so that's really where we want to go is just kind of flip it around. We've got some family friends that are interested in real estate that we're kind of teaching them as they go right now. They're just getting started and in about three years, they'll be ready to tackle bigger deals. And so we're just kind of using this as a teaching process. Right. Okay. No, that totally makes sense. And just be more passive. No, that makes a lot of sense because you've got to a point then where now you're not the one hustling necessarily. You're teaching others and you're deploying capital into good deals just to build up that passive cash flow that you have on a monthly basis. So no, really cool, really uh, big goal and um, excited to see how that might turn out for you guys. And, and I know given what you've accomplished already, that it's very realistic that you'll be able to hit your goals and whatever you kind of set out for your uh, you and your wife to achieve. So before we wrap up the conversation here, I want to take it to the final four questions where you just yeah. get short to the point answers. So what is your favorite real estate or business book? Uh, I just want to mention Sam Zell. Am I being too subtle? Okay. I'll have to check that one out. Haven't heard of it. What is one thing that you wish you knew when you got started in real estate investing? I would say just go bigger. Um, I My thing that I say a lot now is there's always a bigger table. There's always bigger discussions being had. So don't be afraid to, you know, just go bigger, faster. Nice. That's great advice. What's a daily habit that helps you be successful in real estate? Uh, I'm a big, uh, in the morning, I grab my notebook and I write my goals down top of the list on the left is this year top of the list on the right is end of three years that 2022 and then uh just organization in my day so i put my to-do list my schedule and just keeping my thoughts focused and things that i have to do um and then i mean after you, you always want to hone your skills um just hone your underwriting skills find out what's happening out there uh, right now we're in the midst of this sba free fall. So we're aggressively learning how to uh, take advantage of those things. Yeah. And, and a common theme, which is always going to be coming up, well, has come up a lot in the past in prior interviews is morning routines are so important for those people in real estate that are having success because it really sets the tone for your day, allows you to plan where you want to go and, and just give yourself direction. So it came up again. So Listeners, pay attention <laughs> what people are doing in the mornings. So aside from all the real estate that you're doing, um, what do you like to do with your free time and, and do for fun? Yeah, um, I love to golf. I don't get to do it much, but I do love golf. Uh, and then um, just spend, my wife and I, we spend a lot of time just, uh, we're big, well, we like to travel. We like to travel quite a bit, actually. Um, so we travel and just spend time with my wife, really. Yeah, so uh, kind of brings us to the end of the interview. Really appreciate you coming on the show today, Garrett. Um, you added a ton of value. 
had a lot of insight into how you scaled up your portfolio and what you've accomplished is amazing. And I know you'll still have uh, bigger things to come down the pipeline. So once again, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Marcus. Yeah, no problem. Talk to you soon. If you want to reach out to Garrett, you can email him at garrett at hawkpropertyholdings.com or you can connect with him on LinkedIn by searching Garrett Hawk. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you enjoy the podcast or if it provides value in any way, make sure to leave a five-star review. This helps the show attract top quality guests who will be able to provide even more insight into how you can build wealth through real estate. Talk to you next time.